Well, we're beginning, it's, 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 it's a new series for now, but it's a course that I've taught in the School of Ministry many times. It was a second-year course, and it's on renewing the mind. I did this two years ago on Wednesday nights, and it went on and on and on, but uh, we're going to try to condense it down a little bit. But it just came to me lately that we really need to go back over this because this subject is so important. It really is critical for almost learning anything else from the Bible because we're going to learn about several things, and I'll talk in a few minutes about what we're going to learn about. But if you've opened your Bibles to Isaiah 55, I just want to talk to you a little bit about why the mind is so important and why this subject is so important to us. Isaiah 55, of course, is in the middle of several very powerful chapters talking about the Messiah. Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant and what he came to do for us and to do on the cross. And then Isaiah 55 really begins to get into the church and the triumphant church. Um, well, we're going to pick up in verse 8. Isaiah 55 verse 8. We're going to look at verse 8 and 9 and just kind of introduce this. This is God speaking to Israel in this case, but it's speaking to us too. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, let's stop there a second. I hope you know by now that you don't debate things with God. God doesn't have His opinion, and we have our opinion, and we enter into this discussion with God, and together we come up with the right answer. God always is the right answer. And we are the ones that have to learn and to adjust. So when God says, my thoughts about Himself are not your thoughts, He's right. Now, the question is going to be, who needs to make the adjustment? Because what God's telling here is, I don't think the way you think. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. Nor are your ways like my ways, says the Lord. So right off, we need to understand that God has thoughts that are different than our thoughts, and what we're going to learn is how to change our thoughts to think God's thoughts, because i got news for you, God's never going to change His thoughts to think, and you don't want Him to. You may think you do right now, but you don't. Because if we could get God to change to think like we do, for every person in this room, we'd have God thinking different thoughts. So we need to learn to adjust our thoughts to think the way God thinks, and that's really what this material is about. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Now He's going to tell us what the difference is. Verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's not only just telling us that His thoughts are different than our thoughts, He's telling them which one's better. His thoughts are higher. They're better thoughts than our thoughts. And they're so high, they're as high as the heaven is above the earth. And if you look up into heaven, they've sent satellites up there and rocket ships up there, and they've never hit heaven yet. So it's not when you get out of this atmosphere, it's when you find, get to heaven itself. And so that's how much higher God's thoughts are than our thoughts. There's a little echo up here. If, I, if you could just turn it down a little bit and make that. Thank you, that's much better. Okay. So that means we've got to find out what God has ways of thinking, patterns of thinking, principles of thinking, and He has ways about Himself. In Psalm 103, we're not going to turn there, but it talks about one of the differences in the Old Testament. It says, Moses knew my ways, Israel knew my acts, my deeds. Now, some of you have been married for a long time and you just know what each other does. But some of you have a very close marriage and you know each other's ways. In another couple of weeks, my wife and I will be married 48 years. I can tell you without her opening her mouth, 
When I get up in the morning, I can feel where she is, not just physically, but I can feel emotionally where she is without her even seeing her because I've lived with her. I've slept in the same bed with her. We've been through all kinds of things together over 48 years, and it wasn't just all blissful downhill riding, sitting on a beach, slipping ice, sipping iced tea. We've gone through trials and tribulations together. We've gone through all kinds of things, and God's grace has not only brought us through it, but brought us closer together. Then in the process, we've not only learned what each other has done, but we know each other's ways. A good example of that, I've used this before, is a, is a couple dancing together, you know, ballroom type of dancing. Because it's not like, you know, and some of us men are clumsy, and I'm not the greatest one in the world, but my wife is very good at following. And she can sense if I'm going to turn one way or the other, I don't have to say, now, dear, we're going to make a, I'm going to make a left-hand turn, it's a right-hand turn to you. You ready? One, two, three, go. That would be her knowing my deeds. But she can sense if I begin to move with my left hand and her right hand feel the pressure, she'll begin to flow with that. That's knowing my ways. And God says we need to know His ways. Moses knew His ways. But see, He knew His ways by the same way I know her ways, and she, it's by spending time with Him. Spending time with Him in His Word, spending time with Him talking to Him, and even more importantly, spending time listening to Him. So Israel knew what God would do. They knew His deeds, but they didn't know what He was like. Moses knew His ways, and he's telling us here, he has ways that are different than our ways. And, and if you've been around long enough, you may know informationally what they are, but they haven't had an impact on you, because we've not known how to bring our ways up to his ways, and, our, and we, we change our ways into his ways by changing our thoughts into his thoughts. So we start out by understanding that several things here. First of all, God's thoughts are not like our thoughts, and they're infinitely better than our thoughts. And secondly, we have to learn how to change our thoughts, our thinking, into the way God thinks. And it's not just having thoughts, it's the pattern or the ways He thinks. So it's the ways and the thoughts together. Now, not only does God have thoughts, but let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at several verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These are two letters that Paul wrote to the same church, the church at Corinth. And Corinth, Corinth was in the southern part of Greece, known at the time as Achaia. That's not all that important. But what is important is to understand that this part of Greece especially was seeped in in, in philosophy and knowledge, and they loved their greatest activity, their greatest pleasure was two things. It was the theater, and it was to get into debates over philosophy, debates over new, and they loved new ideas, brand new idea. They wanted to bring you in there. So when Paul came to Athens, for instance, and he went up to Mars Hill where they debated all these things, they found out that he was uh, some new ideas. So they wanted to come, have him come in and speak and present his new ideas because they loved having different kinds of ideas which they chose among themselves what to believe. So they were the deciders of what the truth was for them, and they loved new ideas. All of it was intellectual thinking. And so Paul has to address that with them. And here's what I want, we're going to look at. Second Corinthians chapter 2, 10, excuse me, verse, f- no, first, what did I say? Second, 
2 Corinthians 10, not 2. That higher math got to me. There we go. Verse 4. And we'll look at this in more detail further on, but I want you to see an aspect of this. For though we walk in the flesh, that's in this body, we don't war according to the flesh. That's spiritual warfare. We talked about that before. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but they're in mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down, the King James says imagination, the New King James here says arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we have to learn how to cast down arguments. Now the word arguments is a Greek word that means more than get into a verbal fight with somebody. It means a system of thinking or a pattern of thoughts. And we live in a world, if you can understand this, we live in a world that already has these organized patterns of thought of what the truth is. So if you as a Christian today were to stand up and and declare what the Word of God says about any number of issues, from sexual preference and all those things to all kind of issues, you're going to get shouted down out there because they think our ideas and our reasonings are archaic. Because there's a new way of thinking, a more modern way of thinking, and these are established ideas and patterns of thought that come together to basically communicate a philosophy about life and a view of life. For instance, if you were to stand up in a classroom and try to assert that the universe was created by God, a being who had an intelligent plan, they'll snuff you right out today because that is an old-fashioned, archaic idea, a way of thinking, and it's irrelevant today because everybody understands that Darwin was right. And there's an established pattern of thinking of where everything evolves from and comes from that's so established that they're not open to any other ideas. In fact, from what I've understood, that if, if, a, college, if a college professor in an institution of free speech tries to teach that there is another theory out there, they've been kicked out of school. Just for teaching, not agreeing with it, just for teaching that there is another idea called intelligent design. So there's such an established way of thinking that now becomes impenetrable. That's what that word argument means. And notice it's that in every high thing that exalts itself. We've been learning on Sunday morning that Lucifer exalted him, tried to exalt himself over God. He came to earth and went into the garden to try to, and not only try, he succeeded in tempting that first man and woman to exalt themselves over God. And he has methods of thinking, patterns of thought, philosophies, doctrines, teachings out there that are very much ingrained and adopted by our society. And what they all have in common is they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Satan uses these thought patterns, uses these mental reasonings to hide what God is like, or even that He exists. So we have a generation now that's being raised in school, in in many churches, among their friends, on the internet, on their phones, on their social media, all underlying it is this attitude that there is no God, there is no right and wrong, this whole postmodern approach is that there is no such thing as truth. Of 
course, it's interesting that the professors that espouse that there's no such thing as truth have their pay calculated by math, which is a form of truth. So that philosophy never threatens me because it can't last very long. Because how can people get along if there's no idea of what truth is or there's no such thing as truth? That's just so ridiculous it won't last. But the idea that there is no God, that there's no such thing as right or wrong, we choose for ourselves, that is designed to exalt itself to blind people from knowing what God's like. So the point here is we've started out by seeing that God has patterns of thoughts, ways of thinking, and He has ways that He wants us to know, and they're higher than our ways. God wants to bring our thinking up to His level of thinking, and Satan is working through the world to blind our eyes so that we can't see God's ways of thinking, and we think that they're old, archaic, that they're irrelevant, that they're, that they're outdated, that they're prejudicial, that they're whatever they want to call it. It's all this designed to exalt itself against knowing God. Okay, so let's go on to look at how God sees this. And that, and, but, but religion also does this. It's not just the philosophies that are taught in colleges. It's not just the, 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 the attitudes of the world. Religion does the same thing. This is what Jesus got so angry at. The Pharisees, they were the religious leaders. But they had reasonings and approaches to man that were not God's ways. Matthew 25, Jesus, when, uh, when Apostle Scales was here this year, he showed us a video of it. Jesus was berating them. He says, you know, you're very faithful to tithe on the mint and cumin and all the herbs. He says, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like justice, and truth, and mercy, and righteousness. These are all things that are precious to the heart of God. And, and, and yet religion blinds us to those things, to God's mercy, to God's graciousness, to God's love. To God. The, the religion becomes a barrier between man coming to God. And Jesus came, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, Jesus came so that God might be, we might be reconciled to Him, restored back into a relationship with Him through Christ. Not barriers put up so it's harder to come. We've had people come into this church out of churches that were so weighed down with religion, they came in here in fear of God. Afraid of God, so weighed down with, I gotta do this, I can't do that, I gotta dress this way, I can't dress that way, I gotta do this. And yes, there are some principles, but it was keeping them away from God. And re so religion can be that. It can be a way of thinking that exalts itself over the knowledge of what God is like, God's character, God's nature. So we're gonna look at learning how to think differently. Let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at how God looks at all this. And this is a prelude. This is an introduction to what we're going to talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now remember, Paul's writing this to pagans that are now saved that were indoctrinated with philosophy. Philosophy was what they trusted in. They had to understand things in order to believe it. And, and if their mind couldn't understand it, they rejected it. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, just think about that. The idea 
that a man was arrested over 2,000 years ago, beaten by the Roman soldiers for some offense that was blasphemy back then, was nailed to a cross, died, was buried, and his followers said they saw him three days later. The idea that that could affect my life, the idea that that would be relevant to anything today, And see, this is my concern because I really think that what's happening to the younger generation is they hear the gospel, but they don't see how we're relevant. It's not relevant to me. It's not relevant. How is this relevant? Somebody died 2,000 years ago. Because I don't see a difference in the people I know, so it's just an historical fact which may or may not have happened, but what difference does it make to me? And so that's the attitude that the Greeks had. Show us a new philosophy. Convince us that this is right. And so Paul's writing here that God has not chosen God has not chosen education as a means of saving people. It'll go on in chapter 2 and says, but understanding things is important once you've believed. But the entrance into the kingdom of God is not by understanding. It's not a mental process. The entrance into the kingdom of heaven is through believing with your heart. And then chapter 2 says, once you've entered in believing, God will give you understanding of things. That's hopefully what we're doing here tonight. But you don't get into the kingdom of God by understanding it. This is why you can't debate Jesus with people. You can't, by and large, cannot get people saved by debating. You may help them understand something so that they can believe more easily because I needed to have some things explained to me so that I could believe more easily. But there was a moment in time in my living room when I made as an act of my will, I choose, chose to believe in Jesus. I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. My mind seized up at the idea that I was doing that. But I just, as an act of my will, and when I did, the Spirit of God came into me and it changed me. I knew in the moment it happened, something had happened. I didn't understand it. And that's what Paul's writing about here. Verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So God's basically saying here, all right, Greeks, you think you're so wise. I'm going to show you how wise you are in my eyes. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to save the world through something that you think is stupid. I'm going to save the world from hell and restore them to me through something that in your eyes, with your mental understanding, just doesn't make any sense. It's it's foolishness. I'm going to choose something you think is foolish to change the world. Just because I'm God. I'm not going to do it your way. By the way, a little caveat. If you're believing God for something, don't try to figure out how it's going to happen. Uh, Because I'll give you the benefit of 37 years of walking with the Lord. Whatever you figure out is the way it's going to happen. He just crossed off his list. He's not going to do it the way you think it's going to happen. Because he wants you to know you had nothing to do with it. So I learned a long time to go, because I don't want him to crossing alternatives off there. I want him to take the very first one, so I don't care how you do it. I really, unless it's an emergency, don't care when you do it. I just know you're going to do it, and then I can rest. Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish what the world considers wisdom, the wisdom of this world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. With all of the educational institutions out there, and I believe in them. I've been through them. I got a doctorate from one of them. But that never got me to God. In fact, it stood in my way. I had to learn how to set a lot of that aside in order to believe because my education and my training was getting in my way and I still fight it at times. The, the world through all of its wisdom, let's put it in a way in terms of what we're talking about, the world through its best thinking could not come to know God. The brightest, most intelligent philosophers, the brightest, most intelligent mathematicians, the brightest and most intelligent men that have lived never came to know God through their intelligence. Now, there have been very intelligent men that knew God, but they didn't come to it through their education. Isaac Newton, father, one of the fathers of modern physics, he was an ardent believer in Christ. He was a born-again, I don't know if he's spirit-filled, but he was a born-again believer. Jonathan Edwards, one of the participants in the Great Enlightenment, was also one of the, 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 ones of the parties that birthed the, the Great Awakening. Great evangelist, but also was a brilliant mathematician. I think at one point he was president of Yale University. Brilliant people have also been known Christ, known God, but they didn't come to know Him through their education. They came to know Him the way everybody else comes to know Him, as an act of faith, of believing. So the point here is man's knowledge and man's wisdom doesn't get you any closer to God. And in fact, if that's what you're relying on, Satan will use that to blind your eyes, as we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when we just looked at there. Okay, let's go on and read this. Again, verse 21. For since the world through wisdom... For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What's that mean? It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. That doesn't mean the message is foolish. It means that method in the world's eyes is foolishness. What can somebody, taking the Bible and simply doing what we're doing tonight, how can that save people? So God chose some, a method that the world would look at, the greatest minds would look at and say, we don't understand how that can happen. I've seen that happen. When I was still out in Oklahoma in Bible school, the church we went to had a Sunday evening service. And, it was in the, and I went one night, it was like, I think my father-in-law was visiting us. And we, I sat in the back. Uh, I didn't normally do that, but I sat in the back. It was one of those Sunday nights. And the, the, it was the associate pastor. He was preaching that night. And it, it was just, to me, it seemed like it was just kind of an off night for him. He talked about, his whole theme was finding traffic jams in the Old Testament. He took scriptures that he interpreted as traffic jams. And I think, that's cute, you know. It's, he's had a long day, and this is, he's just kind of, you know, coasting tonight. And that's okay, I understand that. It was just kind of a nice casual message, and it wasn't very long, and he just kind of went along. And at the end of it, it was like, oh, by the way, does anybody want to get saved? That was it. Four men in the back raised their hand like this and came up with tears down their eyes. How'd you do that? What, how did that work? There was no emotional... I, there was no, I didn't feel any anointing. It was almost an after the, oh, by the way, anybody want to get saved? It's like, he didn't talk. I don't think he mentioned Jesus' name once that night. Uh, how? That was foolishness to me. My brain couldn't figure out how that happened. 
And you know what? All these years later, God has never chosen to explain it to me. As, except as an example, if God chooses foolishness to put to nothing the wise, those that think they're wise. So God chooses a method that in the world's eyes is foolishness to save those who believe. So we're talking about God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. So here's an example. The world has a thought system of how you change people. You motivate them. And I'm sure some of you have worked for companies and they'll send you out to, for motivate, to motivational speakers or they'll bring them in and do conferences and they'll just try to encourage you. They'll teach. So you can go on PBS. I think they have some of them on there and they'll do these courses online and you can take them to, you know, to build you up as a leader, encourage you and you know, get you all up. And they have all these, which many of the principles they've, bought, they've borrowed from the Bible. And they're, they're trying to do that to, to, to encourage you and to pump you up by, by man's method. And that's wonderful. I've been to them and they last for maybe half a day or another day or so. And then you go back into your old patterns and ways of doing things. Is that right, Joanne? Yeah, you've done to them too. Okay. You just slip back because you're not going to... One day is not going to change my habits. All it'll do is make me feel guiltier <laughs> that I'm doing what I was doing with my old habits that still needed to be changed. So... What the world thinks is how you motivate people and change people is not what God chose. Instead, He chose a method that the world thinks is foolish. It's as if God's saying, look, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. And my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are better than your ways. So what, the, what we've got to be careful of is the church doesn't try to adopt the world's ways and the world's thoughts to do God's work. This is what I'm trying to be very careful about, about the modern setting and the modern lights. And it's wonderful, and I'm very pleased with it, but this is, this is not a substitute for God's ways and God's wisdom. It's still going to be through what the world considers foolishness which is the Word of God preached. Now, there are many different ways to preach it. You can preach it in different forms. You can have, you can have video and, and assist to do it, but it's still going to be through the preaching of the Word, the declaring of the Word, because God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher, and His ways are higher. Okay, let's keep going. But the Jews request a sign. And the Greeks are seeking wisdom. So what Paul's saying here is that in order for to believe, the Jews want to see miracles. They want to see something dramatic that they can believe. That they'll, if you show us something dramatic, we'll believe it. And the Greeks want to have some understanding. So the Greeks need, Paul's saying, the Greeks want us me to appeal to their mind, and the Jews want me to appeal to their flesh. But that's not what God's going to do. God's chosen a different method. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. What's this got to do with renewing the mind? It all goes back to the first verse. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I've chosen a method of bringing salvation to reach people that the world, that the Jews thinks 
it won't work because it's not some demonstration of miracles, although God will use them. They just are the dinner bell for the preaching of the Word. And the Greeks dismiss it because it's not some intellectual process by which they understand. And God says, I've, this, but this shows, this shows God's character and nature. This is where His ways are higher. Because God says, I've chosen a method. If I use the Greeks' method, then only the intelligent are going to get saved. The people that can't understand the intricacies of systematic theology won't make it. The people that can't read uh, 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 Charles Finney's volumes on system, systematic theology and understand them intricately, they're not going to stand a chance. But the people that are smart enough and educated, they'll get it because it's, God says, no, I didn't choose that method. I didn't just choose an emotional method that just gets emotionally moved because there are some people that aren't so emotional. So God says, I've chosen a method by which anyone can receive it. From the most intelligent and educated to the person that can't read. I was talking to someone today who has friends that are missionaries that have gone into a tribe somewhere that has no written language and started a revival. And while they were there, they created a written language and then translated the New Testament into that language. But the point is, they got that village saved without something the village could read by simply preaching the Word. If it required wisdom and education, that tribe's left out. But God's grace and God's heart is that I want this available to anyone. The only condition is that you have to believe it. To the Greek, that requires them to humble themselves. To the educated, that requires them to humble themselves because they've got to believe something they can't understand. They've got to be willing to let go of their understanding and education. This is what I had to do. Let go of my education and understanding and humble myself to believe something that I didn't understand. And those that need emotion and signs and things like that, they have to let that go in order to just believe something so that God could make this available to everyone. In, in Romans 4, Paul talking about faith in his discussion in the middle about verse 15. says, it was by grace so that it may be available to all. God made this available to everybody by a method that everybody would be capable of of receiving because that's his way that's his ways man's ways is well I'll, I like my group my group I want the uh, God ought to be able to save us but the people that aren't so educated no or the people that are just you know that are emotional you know look down at the educated people and say well they're just they don't deserve this and God's heart and God's ways are open to everybody who believe the interesting thing is I was talking to this person and I've seen the video I believe, of this, of this tribe because when, when they translated the Bible into the language that they, this couple had to write for them, there's a video on YouTube somewhere, I forgot what the name of it is, where the entire tribe comes out to the landing field as this airplane begins to circle to land with boxes of New Testaments that they've never seen before. The entire village comes out. 
because they're going to get one New Testament for the first time in a language that they now can read and they can speak. And I've got 50-some translations on that iPad. I don't know how many I have in my study and books and at home like that. We have so much around us and so much available that we just take it all for granted. I heard the story one time from a pastor I knew who had gone into China behind, when, behind the bamboo curtain before any of it was opened up. And he was smuggled into an underground church. And as you may know, there was, before 1949, there were revivals in there. There were evangelists going in. Hudson Taylor went in there back in the 1800s and brought in, uh, uh, started a revival in there and brought Bibles in there and preached the gospel. Churches were established. And when the communists came in in 1949, they killed most of them off, and some of them went under, many of them went underground. And this pastor was a church of a large church up outside of Boston, was sitting in this cell where it was illegal, in this, I mean, in, in this underground, in, in the basement of somebody's house or a hut. And this old woman, probably in her 80s, the whole time he's talking through a translator, she's looking at his Bible with tears coming down her eyes. He turns to the translator and says, is there something I'm doing wrong? He said, oh, no, you don't understand. She hasn't seen a Bible in like 50 years or 40 years. He said, oh, well, let me give it to her. He says, no, 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 you can't do that. They counted the Bibles coming in. They're going to count the Bibles going out. He says, did they count the pages? He said, no. He opened his Bible and he reached into the Gospel of John and he tore out of his precious Bible, I don't know how many pages, and he handed it to her. Just a few pages of the Gospel of John in English. And she took those with tears just pouring down her cheeks and treasured this as the greatest treasure she had. A few pages of the Gospel of John in English, but she had the Word of God in her hands. The Word of God changed people's lives. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're circling the field here. This is just an introduction. The idea that... Because you see, most of us... Most of... Not most of us... I assume all of us think somewhat every once in a while. That was a joke. I hope it was a joke. But most of us aren't conscious of our thinking. We're not aware of how we think or what we're thinking. But what you're thinking and how you're thinking has an incredible effect on you. It has an effect on what you believe. It it controls completely how you feel. And what we're going to see is in spite of whatever God's done for you, what even what God's done in you will only be of value to you to the extent that you learn to think and I learn to think along God's lines. So what we do with our mind is crucial to how well we can walk out, not just fulfill what God's given us to do, but enjoy all that God's done for us, even what God's put in us we're going to learn, most of us are enjoying so little part of what God's put in us, and the reason is because we're still thinking old patterns of thoughts. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Now the New King James says, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. But most translations just say that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind. To understand what that's saying there. A Gentile, in Paul's day, is somebody that had no covenant with God. So by Gentiles, he means somebody unsaved. The world's way of thinking. We saw that before in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where, where Paul talks about the reasonings or arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And so Paul's talking about the same thing here. When he talks about how you walk, he's not talking about whether you take big steps or small steps. He's talking about the, the way you live your life, the path of your life. So Paul says, Therefore I testify to you in the Lord that you should no longer walk the way the Gentiles walk. Conduct your life the way unbelievers conduct their life. He's talking to saved people. So apparently you can be saved and still walk like the world does. Still live your life the way the world does. And we're going to see that as we go on in this course. And we're going to see God has ordained a way to change that. And many of us are trying to change it, but not using God's method that He's prescribed in the Word of God. And He's given us all kinds of tools and methods, which we'll learn at the end of how to do this. But I want you to see what the problem is. Because the Gentiles, those people that have no relationship with God, walk in the futility of their mind. Futility means emptiness. Something that's futile is something that can't do anything. It can't produce results. So the world, Paul's saying, in God's eyes is living in their lives based on their mind, and it's futile. It can accomplish nothing eternal. Don't do that, he said. Therefore, I no longer walk the way the Gentiles live their lives. How is that? In the futility, the emptiness of their own thinking. Verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, that means so that they can't see the truth, being alienated or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So he's talking about people that are not saved. They're walking around in a spiritual blindness, which is why they're walking in a way that's futile. And the reason they're spiritually blind is they don't know Christ. And when, they're spirit, when they, they don't know Christ, they're walking, the only thing they can rely on is their mind. This is why I've watched this happen before, and I just, I've seen well-known Christians, whether they're authors or they may be an evangelist on some secular interview program and they'll ask them spiritual questions and they'll try to reason with them and give them some explanation and there's no way they can possibly understand that because the Bible says spiritual things are only spiritually understood and if you are not spiritually alive to God you cannot spiritually you cannot see spiritual things because God's spirit's not in you so you're walking in darkness and if your heart's walking in darkness the only thing you can rely on is your mind to do it and your mind's not capable of understanding the things of God unless it's connected to a spirit that's connected to God I'm a living testimony of that because while God while I was struggling well actually I was I was resisting God he was pursuing me and he was sending people across my path. There were wonderful people praying for me. I was a tough case because I was relying on my mind. See, I'm a lawyer. I have to understand things. Not only I have to understand things, I have to analyze them, and I analyze them to find what's wrong with them, not what's right with them. 
because lawyers are trained to take things apart. Even if I wrote a document, I'm going to read it as if I can find a hole in it or something wrong in it because that's the way you're, we're trained to think. Right, Jerry? Right? Okay, I got two of them in the front row. I'm right. Okay. I'm trained to think that way. And so I'm reading this Bible with my... The only thing I can use is my mind and I'm finding what I think are inconsistencies. I'm, find, I'm struggling with this. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, I could then pick up... I wouldn't know that I could do it today but I was able to pick up the Internal Revenue Code and understand it to a large degree. So it wasn't as if I couldn't read. It wasn't as if I didn't have a brain that could learn to understand things, but I couldn't understand this. It made no sense to me. But from the night I got saved on, I couldn't put it down. Suddenly this book that the night before I couldn't understand is now alive to me. Suddenly its meaning's exploding off the page at me and my mind says, what is going on here? What had happened is the author of this book had now moved inside. So as I would read in Ephesians things I could never understand before, a light would turn on. You see, oh, that's what that means because it was resonating in here, not here. I still read things in here. My mind doesn't understand, but my spirit just leaps inside. Yes, there's truth in that. And early on, I would get, get, listen to, we had tapes back then, listen to tapes of, of some teachings in my brain, my religiously trained brain, because I was raised in a church that was very steeped in religion. It was like, and my brain just freaking out. No, you can't say that. God would never do that. God would never do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. And, and yet, years later, I remember the Lord asking me, I was looking back on it. One night time, my wife was with our, we had only children at the time. She was visiting uh, her parents and I had to come back early for some case I had. So I'm home over July 4th weekend, and I got the, I think it was Kenneth Copeland or somebody, I got these tapes of his, I got nothing else to do. So I start listening, and it talks about how God's made us righteous in Christ. And that freaked my brain out. There's no way I'll ever be righteous. How could I be in Christ? I know myself. And my brain was just seizing up. And I listened to it over and over and over. I must have listened to it ten times that day. It was years later the Lord asked me a question. He said, son, remember back that day? I said, yeah. He said, you didn't agree with that, did you? I said, oh, no, it was terrible back then. I was like, he said, well, why did you listen to it again? And again. And again. And again. Why did, you, why did you listen to it all those times? One tape all day. I said, I don't know. Because God asks questions because he knows the answer. He wants you to see something. And suddenly I saw it. He said, yes, somewhere down inside of you, you knew there was truth you were hearing. But your mind was in the way. Your mind was blocking it. It didn't fit in with what you've been told God. Oh, it exalted itself. My mind and what I've been trained in in church was exalting itself against the knowledge of God. But the spirit on the inside of me now was witnessing to the truth of it. And there was a battle going on inside of me. See, if I read something I didn't believe at all, I wouldn't have heard it again over and I would just dismiss it and not listen. But somewhere inside of me, something down inside of me, I now know it was the Holy Spirit. Resident, say, that's truth. So I kept listening to it and listening to it so that that truth could begin to break through to me. Because my mind was exalting itself, holding itself up, saying, that doesn't fit in with what you've been taught God's like. You can't be the righteousness of God in Christ. You're just a filthy worm. That's what church teaches you. And this bold Texan was speaking. I got really mad at him. I, just, I shouldn't tell you. Don't tell anybody. But this is how... I mean, because he had a Texan accent, I immediately thought he wasn't educated. This is, the pre- this is the intellectual pride that I was raised in. And boy, I've had to repent of that. 
But this is what I'm talking about. We get trained in thinking that the enemy uses to rob us against knowing God. So the futility of their mind is blinded because of the blindness of their heart. They can't see. Oh, we've got to close. Who being past feeling, verse 19, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all clean uncleanliness and greediness, but you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, so that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and you be changed or renewed in the spirit or the, of your mind or the way you think, and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness. So it's like changing your clothing. I came here tonight, and I went into my closet and just gotten back from the cleaners, my shirts, so I put on this reddish striped shirt. I had to put it on, but it was my, I couldn't put it on if I didn't have it. If I didn't own it, if it wasn't mine, I couldn't have put it on. So I went to the closet and I put on something I had, but I had to put it on. But I couldn't know I could put it on if my mind hadn't been renewed to know that it was in there. Did it come back from the cleaners? Because yesterday it wasn't in there. So I could go because my mind has now got new information that this shirt was in there so I could go put it on. And there are things that when you were born again were put in you that you don't know were put in you or you're not comfortable belong to you because your mind hasn't been renewed to understand what God did. Now let's go to Romans chapter 12. And this is going to be our key scripture. And we'll just get into it today. And then next week we'll give you some background. Romans chapter 12. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has ordained that the method by which we are changed into, into the image of who God's made us to be when we were saved is the process of renewing our mind. And that's what this whole course is all about. What we're going to look at is we're going to end the process of this. We're going to begin by looking at what God says about you, what God says He has done for you. And then we're going to look at how much of that you're actually living out and enjoying. We're going to look at the mind. We're going to help you find your mind. We have a section called Locating Your Mind. Just in case you think you lost it today, we're going to find your mind. Help you locate it. Then we're going to learn what God gave it to you for. See, in the, in the 80s and the 90s, there was a big charismatic move. In the 70s, 67, there was a charismatic move. And in the 80s and 90s, there was a new wave that came through called the Word of Faith and just taking God at His Word. And both of those, we tend to learn to be led by the Spirit to the point that we tend to just think the mind is irrelevant. The mind just gets in the way. And, and, and yet, although we never say it, the attitude we have back there is that we're transformed by the removing of the mind. So anything that had to do with common sense or thinking was unspiritual. And I saw all kinds of craziness, stupid things that were terrible witnesses to people 
that, that, that would come into a service like that. And, and God's the God of order. God's the God of decency. God doesn't do crazy things. But God will do some supernatural things. And so, so there was a time when, the, although we would never read it that way, that what we believed was that we were renewed by the removing of the mind. But that's not what it says. It's the renewing of the mind. And so we're going to learn that, 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 uh, that it's the process. We're going to learn how to get control of it. We're going to learn how to... Because you can't renew it unless you can control it. You can't change how it thinks if you don't have control of it. And so you can. You may be sitting here tonight and say, Oh, not me. I can't ever control it. Yes, you can. It may be more difficult, but you can. God gave it to you to be in control of. And in fact, once you get in control of it, and we have testimonies in here of people that have come through that course and there's been a difference in their lives because they found out they could control it when they didn't know that they could before. And then we're going to see, learn some biblical tools, very practical things that you can take home with you and practice day in and day out and, and learn how to do this. And so we'll begin that process. Next week we're going to start with the word, therefore. Verse 2 says, therefore... So we're going to find out what the therefore is there for. If you want to know what the therefore is there for, come back next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have very practical, real principles that we can learn and take home and apply in our lives that will allow the fullness of what you've done for us and what you've put into us to come to the outside that not only will change us, but others will see that change and we will be able to be the witnesses that Christ has called us to be. And we just trust you for that process and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before